0: Lord, we come before you in humility, God, and I pray, uh, that you would give us teachable hearts to, to learn from you. Uh, Lord, even if we've studied this passage before, or, or we've studied this topic before, uh, God, I pray that you would, uh, refresh us, give us something new, um, help us develop maybe some, uh, some of what we know a, a little further so that we would know you more, God, cause that's why we dive into your word, to, to know you, to know you better, to draw into intimacy with you, God. So I pray that that would happen through this teaching and it wouldn't inherit here. It would change us from the inside out and it would be with us as we go about our day, as we go about our week, as we go about our lives, God. So we ask for a fresh anointing of your spirit. We pray that your spirit would enlighten the eyes of our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you recall, listen carefully, can you recall when God first opened your eyes to the truth of the gospel. Maybe you were like me and you heard the gospel a few times. Different people would tell you about Jesus and the Bible and these different things. But it didn't really mean anything to you. till one moment. Maybe there was a specific time where not only you heard the gospel but there was some interaction with the Lord or at the very least you felt compelled to come forward or say a prayer or accept Jesus into your life, that moment when God awakened your heart to the reality of who He is and what He offers us. See, Paul, he's going to talk about that, his experiences with the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, when we have that experience, What happens is that God's gospel actually becomes our gospel. That's the title of this teaching. When his gospel became my gospel. When his gospel became my gospel. Or in other words, when his good news became my good news. See, Paul, he's been reminding the churches of Galatia, multiple churches in that region, about the basic fundamentals of the gospel. That's what he was doing in those first ten verses, and now he's gonna segue the end of chapter one into chapter two, his personal story, how he received the gospel and how it changed him. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of God, changed Paul changed Paul forever. In fact, he'll say later on in First Corinthians uh, chapter fifteen, verse ten. First Corinthians fifteen ten, he says, uh, for by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul is saying I'm defined by the grace of God. God's grace in my life defines me. It changed me. It transformed me forever. Does the grace of God define you? Is your identity wrapped up In the love of God, and the grace of God, or is it something else? Is it a role that you play? Is it a job that you have? Is it something that you do? Paul realized it wasn't about what he did. It was about what Christ did. And he identified with the grace of God. In fact, the grace of God shaped and molded his identity. He's going to share that story here as we enter into Galatians chapter 1 verse 11. Before we do, I want to continue to remind you of the flow of this book. Uh, in Galatians chapters 1 and 2, this is kind of like the outline. It will help you understand the whole big picture. Galatians chapter 1 and 2, Paul focuses on his personal experiences with grace. Okay, And then chapters 3 and 4, he focuses on the doctrine of grace, the theological understanding of grace, not just the New Testament... But but also the Old Testament. Then in Galatians 5 and 6, he talks about the practical application of grace. Basically, it's Paul is saying, this is what I've experienced, and this is what the Bible says, so this is how we should live. Let's see how Paul communicates his personal story here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. He says this. But I make known to you, brethren, that The gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. These two verses are very similar to how Paul the verses the words that he used in Galatians chapter one verse one. Look at this, Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from. The dead. Paul's point here is that the gospel obviously didn't come from him. Didn't come from the other apostles. Didn't come from men at all. It came directly from God. It started going through the apostles. But God was the one that initiated it. First Paul starts talking about his apostleship. Why? Because if we're to trust paul's gospel we got to trust who paul is the only reason we trust paul's gospel is because jesus sent him out with the message and the message that paul had is the same message that jesus had. this is how we can trust the gospel that paul preached this point here is that the gospel was originated by god himself this point so number one the gospel is god's story the gospel is God's story. The gospel is not man's good news about God. It's God's good news for man. God, men didn't just create this thing. They didn't just get their heads together and decide, hey, here's a good story, disciples. Let's start a movement. Let's start a revolution. In fact, we can even look in the Bible to show us That logically, the gospel couldn't have come from man. Let me show you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Paul saying straight up. The gospel, it's foolishness to the natural man. How does it make sense that God, the one that created this world, would have to come and die for this world? Couldn't there be another way? He's God. He's sovereign. He could have came up with another plan. But this was the only plan. In fact, Jesus, if you remember in the garden... In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, he petitioned to his father. He said, if it's possible, if at all possible, let this cup of suffering pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God answered him in that moment. says, no, the cup can't pass from you. This is the only way. This has been the plan from the beginning. This is what we decided on. This is the avenue by which we'll bring redemption and forgiveness and love to this world. This doesn't make sense to the natural man. Why? Because grace and forgiveness are contrary to nature. We live in a world that's anti-grace and anti-forgiveness. You can even see this in the animal kingdom, okay? A mouse doesn't apologize to the snake that just ate his family. I know you killed them. It's not a big deal. I forgive you. Nor does the fish apologize to the shark for eating all his friends. Nature teaches us anti-forgiveness, anti-grace. This isn't just in nature in the animal kingdom. This is with people as well. We see this to this day. You hurt my family, you hurt my tribe, I'm going to hurt your family, I'm going to hurt your tribe. You see everything going on in the Middle East. There are blood feuds that have been going on for thousands of years that we can even see rooted back in the Word of God and how they started specifically. Ishmael, who produced the Muslims down the line, in the feud that they have with the sons of Abraham. Isaac was the favored son. Over Ishmael, the promise on over Ishmael. The point is, to this day, we see these feuds. We see this anti-forgiveness. We see this anti-grace. You bomb my city, I'm going to bomb yours. That's what this world teaches us. But God teaches us something else. See... If we continue to fall in line with this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality, everyone in this world eventually will be blind and toothless. Okay? I like my eyes, I like my teeth, right? If we fall into this, you do me wrong, I'm gonna do you wrong. If we do that, we're all going to be wronged and we're all gonna do wrong to others. It has to stop somewhere. That's what Christ came to do. He he wanted to stop the cycle of anti-grace and anti-forgiveness. And that's exactly what he did on the cross. What he said in dying on the cross was this. This is what you deserve. You deserve to die. You deserve eternity in hell. But I want to switch up the cycle. I'm going to die for you in your place. And I'm going to offer grace. And I'm going to offer forgiveness. See that cycle of anti-grace and anti-forgiveness. It doesn't stop until someone says I'm going to have grace on this person. Even though they don't deserve it. That's what it is. Unearned, unmerited favor. I'm going to forgive them even though they don't deserve forgiveness. It's got to stop somewhere. And that's exactly what Christ did. He stopped it. He stopped the vicious cycle of bitterness and resentment, anti-grace and anti-forgiveness. This is another reason why we can trust that the gospel is not of man, it's of God. You know what separates the gospel of Jesus Christ in Christianity from every other religion in the world? Grace. Every single other religion teaches something to the effect that if you do this you get this. Buddhism. If you follow the eightfold path you may get nirvana. You might not. You might uh reincarnate as a priest if you're lucky, but if you do a b c and d then you get this. Islam. The five pillars of Islam. If you follow these five pillars, then maybe, not confidently, maybe Allah will have mercy on you and you'll get heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches about grace. It's not of works. It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ did. Grace is not even something that's natural to us. It's supernatural. This is a reason why we can trust that the gospel is indeed from God. It's different than every other message. It's different than every other religion. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not about what we do. It's about what he did. As he explains that the gospel is not of man, but of God. He starts getting personal here. Look at verse 12. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He didn't sit under the apostles to hear the gospel or receive the gospel. He said it came from through direct revelation of Jesus Christ, meaning Jesus communicated it to him directly, which is interesting. You know, most people, uh, you hear the gospel through a man, right? Maybe it's a, someone or a woman, uh, someone sharing uh, a message personally that you meet on the street or you hear it on the radio or it's from the pulpit, whatever the case may be. Uh, Paul didn't hear it on the radio, okay? He didn't hear it from a pulpit. He heard it from Jesus Christ himself. Jesus came to him on the road to Damascus, stopped him in his tracks, revealed his divine nature to Paul, and everything was changed from that moment on. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not just the revelation of some man. Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. For you have heard of my former conduct... In Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond uh, many of my contemporaries in my own nation being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul tells us, he admits, he fesses up that he was persecuting Christians, right? Right? Not only was Paul fighting for the other team, if you will, he was leading the charge against Christianity. He says, I tried to destroy the church. We see that in Paul's early life when we're introduced to him in Acts chapter 7 at the end. It says that he consented to the death of Stephen, the first martyr in the church, meaning he had a say in it and he said, yes, kill him, (laughs) take him out. And then what happened? In the beginning of Acts chapter 8, it says that he wreaked havoc on the church. Families were being separated, people being uh, dragged out of their houses, people being killed because of Paul, the authority that he had, the decisions that he was making. This word here in verse 13, destroy. He says, I persecuted the church of God beyond measure that and tried to destroy it. This word in the Greek is the same word that they use for sacking a city. It's synonymous with annihilation. So Paul, what he was doing was not just trying to like stop a movement or slow it down. He was trying to annihilate Christianity once and for all. He didn't want Christianity to last past his lifetime. He was determined to destroy it completely. And Paul. He's able to talk about his past as a persecutor only because he was awakened to the truth of the gospel. This is point number two. The gospel reveals who we were. The gospel reveals who we were. Paul has no problem talking about who he was. I'm sure there was a lot of pain every time he talked about who he was. Because now the people that he's talking to are brothers and sisters. Some of these people in Christ, some of these people, he might have separated their families or had some of their family members killed. But Paul is able to talk about his past because of the grace of God. Look what he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Verse 13, I'll read it for you. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. Paul says, I can be honest with who I was because I received the grace of God. I can be honest with who I was because I see who God is. See, Paul, the only way he's able to see the error of his ways is because God awakened him to the truth of it. Remember, Paul, he thought he was doing something good. He he was zealous for the things of God, for the traditions of his fathers. He thought he was doing God a favor. These people are committing blasphemy. They're saying that Jesus is God. Let's stop it. And all his efforts and all his energy... He put towards destroying Christianity. But now he realizes the error of his ways. See, the gospel, when we're awakened to the truth of the gospel, we're awakened to the depravity of our sin. So, me, I was formerly an addict... Uh, a thief, a deceiver, selfish, sexually immoral, and the list goes on. This is really who I was. And I knew some of these things, like, were kind of bad. Like, yeah, I know, I shouldn't steal from my parents or whatever, or raid my mom's jewelry cabinet or whatever the case may be. I know it's not, like, a good thing, but I didn't really see how bad it was, honestly. knew it was kind of bad, but I didn't think it was that bad. Until I came to Jesus. And then I look back and go, what? (laughs) I used to think like that wasn't that bad. She has plenty of jewelry. She has plenty of money. She's not going to miss this stuff. Like that was the depraved mind that I had. I'm only able to see it now and talk about it now. Why? Because I realized the truth of the gospel gospel says, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. And I knew I was bad, but I didn't realize how bad until I was awakened to the truth of who Jesus is and what he did for me. See, now I'm able to be honest with my past because the Lord, he's changed my life. You better believe when I was in my addiction, I wouldn't talk to you about it. If you asked me if I was still using, I'd lie right to your face. I'd say, no way. Why would you think that? Why would would you think that I'm still using? Like, I I, I would lie about it. I wouldn't talk about it. I didn't want to let people know that. But after the grace of God came into my life, I was able to be honest with myself. I, I was able to be honest with God. I was able to be honest with other people. Man, this is who I was. It's sick, it's disgusting, but God, he offers that to all of us through the gospel, that we could see the depravity of our sinful nature. He goes on in verse 14, I want to reread it. So he talks about destroying the church, then look what he talks about. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. In other words, uh, Paul, he was sitting under Gamaliel, a rabbi. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees being raised up to be a rabbi. The Pharisees uh, would traditionally become rabbis in that time period. He says, I was the best student in my class. I was the teacher's pet. I I was so zealous about the traditions of my fathers. I, I was exceeding everyone else that was studying with me. See, God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only did he reveal to Paul the depravity of his disgusting sin, he also revealed to Paul the reality of his worldly success. That it was just that. It was worldly success. Paul thought he was doing something good by studying all these traditions and doing so well. Later on, he'll say, I count those things as rubbish that I may gain Christ. See, the gospel reveals to us not just the depravity of our sin, but even the depravity of our worldly successes. When I was 20 years old, um, I was a corporate manager of this chain of restaurants called Hurricane Grill and Wings. Uh, I would train future, uh, franchisee owners, people that were buying the restaurants, uh, the millionaires, they would come in. They'd have to be trained by me to know how to manage the restaurant. So they'd come from all over the country and come to this specific location. I opened a few locations and and uh, that's what I would do. I had a lot of promise at 20 years old. So my dad's like, man, you're doing so well at this. I'm going to buy five restaurants. Him and his friend, they're going to buy five restaurants. I was going to open each and every one of them. Uh, and I would be a partial owner of each and every one of those restaurants. Okay, This is at 20 years old. All right. So we opened the first one by 22. My dad quit his job. My brother-in-law decided not to uh, finish grad school. Uh, my, my brother, he, he quit jobs, started doing this thing with me. My whole family changed their whole lifestyle because they had all this hope that I was going to bring them to the promised land, right? We're going to have this really successful chain of restaurants and all these different things. But guess what? I was an addict. And though I was pretty good in the restaurant industry, my sin caught up to me. And eventually I had warrants out for my arrest. And eventually I had to run away so I could get clean, so I could pass a drug test, so I could get by with the warrants. And after that happened, I would get pretty upset about what I did, right? I let my whole entire family down. They, they laid down everything in hopes that I would be able to make this stuff happen. It wasn't till I received the gospel of Jesus Christ that I realized that God was saving me from my worldly success. Because here's the reality. I might have been a millionaire by the time I was 30, but I wouldn't have made it to 30. I would have been dead in my sin. I couldn't handle the lifestyle because I didn't know Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have this perspective of what success is. And it's a very worldly perspective. Jesus doesn't just promise to save us from our sin. He promises to save us from our worldly perspective. And what we think as success, he redefines it. He shows us what it really means. This is what Paul's getting at. Man, the track that I was going on, I was Doing it! I was, I was exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. I was an all-star A-plus student. God saved me from that as well. The text continues in verse 15. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace. But. It's a big but. We see the change there. This was the road that I was going on, but then it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. It pleased God to choose Paul. God didn't choose Paul because he was so zealous about the traditions of his fathers. He didn't choose Paul because he brought so much to the table. He chose Paul because it pleased God. God, And this is why God chooses each and every one of us. He, he doesn't choose us because we, we got something big to offer God. We're so gifted and talented and smart and yada, yada, yada. No, the Bible says the opposite. He, he chooses the weak. He chooses the, the foolish. He chooses the base things of this world so that He can be glorified through them. So that no flesh will be glorified in His presence. God chooses us not because he needs us, but because he wants us and it pleases him to use us. Paul says, verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb. It's point number three. We were separated for the gospel from the womb. We were separated for the gospel from the womb. Paul realized that God had created him for a purpose. And God, he used Paul's entire life to prepare him for that purpose. See, Paul uh, had a, a unique cultural background. He was a Jew. As he says, he, he's zealous about the traditions of his fathers. He is born a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. But he was also a Roman citizen. Because Tarsus was in a Roman province. So this was like, uh, okay, he can relate to some of the Romans. He can relate to the Greeks because there was a lot of Greek culture back then. And he can relate to the Jews. There's lots of opportunities. And God used all of those things to prepare him for this calling that he had through the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God, he has set us apart for the gospel from our mother's womb as well. Let me show you. If you flip over a few pages, it's Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. He says, just as he, he, God, chose us, not just Paul, chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. We've been separated for the gospel from the womb. He chose us. And he knew how our entire lives were going to play out. He knew how easy our childhood would be. He knew how rough some people's childhoods would be. He knew the jobs that you were going to have. He knew the places that you were going to live. He knew the places that you were going to go. And God will use all of it. He'll use the pain. He'll use the suffering. He'll use the torment. He'll use the trials. He'll use the tribulations. He'll use the blessings. He'll truly use anything and everything. All in an effort to have his story shape your story. So that your story can shape other people's story. Nothing goes to waste with God. He uses all of it. And sometimes we can be, why did this happen? Why did that happen? We have to recognize that God has set us apart from the womb. When he was forming us together in our mother's womb, he had a plan for us. And that plan was for his glory. Not that he wanted these bad things to happen to us, but he knew certain things were going to happen to us. And you know what he says? I'll use it. I'll use the most painful experience you've ever experienced in your life, whether that be physical or emotional or spiritual. And I'm going to use it for my glory, but you got to let me use it. you you got to let me work with it. Do you believe that I can use it? Paul believed. He knew. God used all of these things to prepare him for the calling that he had in the gospel. Now, it's interesting. He uses this word here. Separated, in verse 15, separated from my mother's womb. In the Greek, this is the word aphorizo, okay? A-P-H-O-R-I-Z-O. And it's the root word of the word Pharisee. He's doing a play on words here. See, Pharisees were considered the separated ones. They were separated by God for the law. To know the law, to understand it, to be proficient in it, to be perfectionist with it. To live by it. And Paul, using this play on words, he knows... I thought I was separated for this lifestyle. I thought I was separated for this calling. I thought I was separated for this legalistic religion. I thought I was separated as a Pharisee. But that's not what I was separated for. I was separated by God for the grace of God. I was separated to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says here, Who separated me, verse 15. From my mother's womb and called me through his grace. Again, Paul recognizes that God didn't call him because he was an expert in the law. He called him for God's good pleasure, he called him by his grace. God doesn't call us, but by anything other than his grace. And sometimes we can look at our life and be like, man, what do I have to offer God? And that's true. But we can also fall into this place that, that I'm not going to do anything for God. I'm, I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to get plugged in. Uh, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to do the bare minimum. See, God calls each and every one of us. And he says, many are called, but few are chosen. He calls us, but we have a responsibility to answer the calling. And when we answer the calling, we're defined as being chosen by God. And we can battle with what this calling is. What is God choosing for me to do? Recognizing that we bring nothing to the table. But here's the reality you don't have to worry about why God called you. I'll tell you why God called you. He called you because you're either weak or you're foolish or you're one of the base things of the world. That's why he called me. We don't have to worry about why God called us. We just have to consider that God called us. And when we consider that God called us, that gives me the motivation to explore what God's calling me to. Yes, God has called me in his grace to receive the gospel, but it doesn't end there. There's something he wants to do in my life so that others can look at Christ in me, the hope of glory, and others might see the grace of God through the testimony that God has developed through me. And this is exactly what Paul is going to segue to here in Galatians chapter one, look at verse 16 to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. See what he says here to reveal his son in me. God didn't just reveal his son to Paul. He revealed his son in Paul. God doesn't just want to reveal Jesus to us. He wants to reveal Jesus in us and through us. This is why Paul says later on, he's not speaking of himself. He's speaking of all the Gentiles that have accepted the Lord. And this applies to anyone that accepts Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 27, he says, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God doesn't just reveal the reality of who Jesus is and what He do- did to us. He wants to reveal that in us and through us so other people can see what christ in us the hope of glory our testimony can be hope for someone else this is what he did with paul this is what he wants to do with all of us but it wasn't just about what god was doing in paul's heart in paul's life paul responded to what god was doing in his heart by what by preaching the gospel He says in verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's point number four, last point. The gospel changes who you are. The gospel changes who you are. This movement that Paul was coming across, all of a sudden he's leading the charge on the other end of things, being one of the most powerful apostles, if not the most powerful apostle that ever lived. See, Paul, his story is miraculous how do you go from being sold out to destroy a movement to being one who's leading the charge for this movement that's not just a change of mind you know what i'm going to give this christian thing a shot that's not what it was paul tells us what happened he said literally i was on my way to destroy christians and jesus came to me on the road to damascus and he put me in my place and he helped me understand who he is And as I understood who he is, I understood who who I was and what I was doing. And there was a complete change of heart. See, the story of Paul, it's nothing short of miraculous. In fact, atheist historians have such a hard time explaining Paul's story. Because Paul, Saul of Tarsus, also named Paul, we don't just see him. In the Bible, you see him in other historical books. And you see that one day he's a Pharisee, another day he's an apostle. Like, how does that How does that happen? And it's an anomaly to atheistic historians because they don't want to believe what Paul says. That this is how it happened. Jesus came into my life. He changed my life forever. The story doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Unless something miraculous happened in Paul's life. Paul. has a total change of heart because he had a total change of identity. He was a persecutor of Christians, but now he realizes, I'm a son of God. I was filled with hate, but then I saw God's love for me. and And now I identify with the love of God. In the Gospel of John, John refers to himself a few times as either the beloved or the one whom jesus loved and we can look at that and and some people will think oh john's just like saying well he was the favorite of jesus you know he's the one laying on the bosom he's the one that jesus loved the most but that's not what he's saying he's saying instead of introducing my name is john <laughs> this name john doesn't really describe my identity it doesn't really describe who i am but you know what does the love of christ I'm defined by the love of Christ. My identity is rooted in God's love and grace for me. This is Paul's testimony. As was it for John and the other apostles as well. Paul realized the love of God. He realized the forgiveness that's offered through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because the love of God changed him from the inside out. He wanted to tell everyone. Right off the bat. After he receives his sight again. And Ananias prays for him. And, and, uh, and baptizes him. He goes back out preaching. What he was just trying to destroy. He recognized the love of God in an instant, in a moment. And he couldn't help but speak of the things that God had done in his life. And this is exactly what the gospel is supposed to produce in us. The gospel is not supposed to stop with one person. It's too big for one person. If the gospel stops with you, meaning you hear it, but you don't tell it to other people, then the gospel isn't doing its purpose. But it's not really, the gospel's not doing its purpose. You're not doing your purpose. The gospel's too big for me. It's too big for each of us as individuals. The gospel was never meant to stay in one place. If it was, then it wouldn't have left Jerusalem. But Jesus said, go preach to all nations. Tell everyone about the love that I have for them so that they can respond so that they have a chance for eternal life. Paul recognizes this. And everything he said, everything he did was a byproduct of the love of Christ. It wasn't that he had to preach the gospel. He wanted to preach the gospel. He wanted people to know the grace and the forgiveness and the love that Jesus Christ offers. But God called him to preach the gospel to a specific group. If you look back at verse 16, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is how we know among other scriptures that God has a sense of humor. He absolutely does. Uh, because if you grew up as a Jew, especially in that culture, it was in you to hate Gentiles. They were disgusting. They were unclean. You don't know what they ate or what they got their hands into. Uh, as we were studying in Acts, that's why Peter tells Cornelius, he says, You know it's unlawful for me to be in the same house as you. You're an unclean Gentile. I should have no business with you if I touch you or rub against you. I don't know what you touched. You might have been eating disgusting birds or shellfish or lobster or something like that. It was in him. To hate Gentiles. God says, You're going to share the gospel primarily to Gentiles. Not only that, But Paul was a Pharisee. Again, he was an expert in the Old Testament. If I was planning Paul's life, I'd be like, Perfect, this guy got saved, Let's send him to the Jews. He should share the gospel with the Jews, Because he knows the Old Testament so well. But that's not what God did. Paul does share the gospel with Jews, but his primary ministry is to the Gentiles. Sometimes we think God is going to use our past for one thing, and he ends up using it for another. I remember for me when I first got saved, it's like, man, I want to minister to drug addicts. Like, I want to minister to people that have experienced some of the same things that I've experienced. And that was where I even got saved. It was a ministry of people that struggled with addiction. And I get to minister to addicts sometimes. But that's not what God primarily called me to. He says, "You think you're just going to, you know, uh, be able to reach this little people group, but I'm going to have you reach all different demographics and people groups." See, God's plan is always bigger than our plan, and it's often different. As it was for Paul, God had called him to preach to the Gentiles. The text continues in Galatians chapter 1 verse 16. He says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul wants to make it clear that his message did not come from man. He didn't go to Jerusalem to sit under the apostles to to hear what they had to say about Jesus. At least he didn't do that right away. For three years, he just wanted to get to know the Lord personally. He didn't want to have the opinions of man sway him in some direction. He just wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his voice. This is what we're called to do as well. Not that it's bad to come to church. In fact, the Bible says, um, do not forsake the assembly of the brethren. We're supposed to get plugged in into a church community. It's not about the building. It's about the people. The Bible teaches us that. But as we're talking about understanding the word of God and understanding who God is. What's the best source to go to? God. Okay, He knows more about himself than any of us do. Paul went right to God. He didn't go to man. He didn't send out to the apostles for multiple years trying to just gain their wisdom. He wanted the wisdom of God. See, we're all called To sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his voice. We're all called to go to him first. Now this doesn't mean that you shouldn't ask questions that you're curious about. But it does mean that he's the first person that you should ask. God, what do you want to tell me about this? Is there something that you want to reveal to me? I've done this so many times and it's so cool how God will reveal himself to me and give me answers that I don't even think a man could come up with. It's just straight from God. In fact, when I prepare messages, you know what the last thing I do is? is look at commentaries. And I'll look at commentaries at the very end. But I prepare almost my entire message and the bulk of my messages from what I believe God's trying to get across to me. What I believe God's trying to get across to the church. Why? Because He's the source of all wisdom and all knowledge. And maybe that great commentator has something great to say about Galatians. And that's cool. I'll look at it later but maybe he's not going through what I'm going through, and maybe his church isn't going through what my church is going to, through. See, God, he is the source of knowledge. He is the source of wisdom, and before we go to man, just as Paul did, we should go to God. That's what he's getting at. He says where he went to God. He said he went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Now, this isn't Saudi Arabia. Uh, This is a place scholars often believe to be the kingdom of Nabatia. Okay? Now this place was actually uh, right outside of Damascus. So what appears to have happened was after Paul got saved in Damascus and he didn't have good luck sharing the gospel in Damascus, he had to he had to flee uh, before he ever went back to Tarsus or anything. He, he went in the wilderness in this place, Arabia, and he just sat under the feet of Jesus and studied. Not that Jesus was there. Jesus could have came here and there. I don't really know. There's some indication that might have happened, but he's just seeking the Lord. God, what do you want to speak to me what's the truth of the gospel what's this all about and he did that then went back to damascus and it says here in verse 18 then after three years i went up to jerusalem to see peter and remained with him 15 days but i saw none of the other apostles except james the lord's brother now concerning the things which i write to you indeed before god i do not lie so he thinks that he needs three years. Why? Probably because the Lord told him, I want you to go away for three years and just sit under, uh, sit under me and hear my voice and grow in the truths of the word of God. Seeing the fulfillment of the Old Testament through the person of Jesus Christ. But we also see most of the apostles, most of the disciples, they had what? about three years under jesus so that could have came into the picture uh they need three years i need three years we don't know exactly why paul made this decision but we can rest assured that somehow the lord told him hey you need to sit under me just here for me for three years after those three years he says he went up to jerusalem so this is his first time in jerusalem uh As a convert, okay? He was in Jerusalem before, but as a convert, this is the first time he talks about going to Jerusalem. And he says he went there to see Peter, and he remained with him 15 days. What's his point? He didn't go to Jerusalem to ask Peter and the other apostles that were there. It was only James, the Lord's brother. Jesus Christ's actual half-brother was there. He didn't go there because he wanted to learn what their gospel was. He went there to see him. This wasn't an educational trip. This was a relational trip. He just went to go get to know Peter and James. And likely he discussed some things pertaining to Jesus Christ. You know, that's their life. We don't know what that conversation entailed. Paul's main point here is I couldn't have learned all that I learned in 15 days. Okay? All the things. You think about how much knowledge Paul has. There's no way he learned all that stuff in 15 days from Peter and James. It took years for him to accumulate all this knowledge, all these truths that the Lord was revealing to him. Now, I find this interesting later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, Around verses like 5 to 8 there. Uh, he's talking about the resurrection. This is Paul speaking again. He's speaking of the resurrection. And, and he, he mentions two people specifically. He mentions Peter and James who saw the risen Lord. Uh, this is James the brother of Jesus Christ as we just mentioned. I find this interesting because it got me thinking. I wonder if this was the conversation that they had. That Paul was just sharing his testimony. Hey, look, I was on the road to Damascus and Jesus appeared to me in his resurrected form. And Peter's probably like, yeah, I saw him in his resurrected form too. And, and I got went back fishing like a fool. And Jesus called me back and he forgave me. And James is like, yeah, I feel like a fool too. Uh, I didn't believe him. I live with the guy. I live with the guy and I didn't believe he was the Messiah until all of a sudden I saw him in his resurrected form and it clicked. I realized this truly is the Messiah. We don't know what conversation happened, but there's a chance that... Paul was talking to them about the resurrected Lord, and he gained this information from Peter and James. But Paul's point is not about the information that he gained. His point is that he couldn't have learned learned the information that he gained from this short period of time in Jerusalem with Peter and James. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 21, we're almost done. He says, afterward... I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. So continuing to prove the point that the gospel didn't come from man. He said these churches didn't even know him by face. He's never seen any of these people before. The message that he received, it couldn't come from people that don't know him. It couldn't come from people that haven't seen him face to face. This message came from Christ and these people in Galatians chapter one, verse 23, he's generalizing the churches that he saw. He says, for they were hearing only he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith, which he once tried to destroy and they glorified God in me. This was all the people knew about Paul. He was formerly a persecutor, and now all of a sudden he's preaching for the very movement that he was trying to persecute. All they know is Paul once was lost, and now he's found. All they knew was that Paul used to be a person that took life, and now he's one that's giving life. All they know about Paul is a piece of his testimony, that things changed in his life, that the Lord did a radical work in his life. In their response to Paul's testimony, it says, And they glorified God in me. They glorified God at Paul's story. How the Lord's story impacted Paul's story. See, your story can bring God glory. It, it truly can. And this is Paul's point in all of this. The gospel, it's true. And it can change us from the inside out. We see the validity of the gospel in the way that it changes lives, in the way that it initiates transformation in people's lives. If this gospel was from man, I wouldn't be where I am today. If this gospel was from man, Paul wouldn't be speaking these words. If this gospel was just another religion, then we wouldn't be reading the text that we're reading. But the gospel is different because it's from God. It's not from man. And Paul wants to make that clear. My life is changed forever, not because of the words of man, but because of the words of God, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This wasn't some clever man-made story. This was a redemption story that God initiated and God had planned since the foundations of the earth. So we need to ask ourselves, Do we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Not some man-made myth. Not just what somebody once told us about Jesus. Because what Jesus tells us about himself is that he's God in the flesh. He's actually God in the flesh. He's not just a man. And some will say, "Uh, You know, I can accept Jesus as a good moral teacher, but I certainly don't accept him as God. Well, he claimed to be God. Not only that. He died on a cross. Why? For our sins. He paid the price that we deserved because he wanted to end that vicious cycle of anti-grace and anti-forgiveness. It has to stop somewhere and Jesus stopped it on the cross. Now I open up the opportunity for you to be forgiven. No longer will you get what you deserve. You'll get more than you deserved. You'll get eternal life with me. And his death on the cross was solidified by the resurrection Death couldn't hold him because he was sinless, he was perfect, and he was risen from the grave. These are the basic truths of the gospel. Sometimes men will put their own twist on it. Jesus wasn't God. There's no way. When was the last time he saw someone rise from the dead? That couldn't have, ha- have ha- had happened. But Jesus makes the claim that it did happen. The apostles make the claim that, they, that it did happen. And the apostles end up dying for making that claim. So I'll ask again, do we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ or do we believe in the gospel of man? Because Paul told us in the last teaching, in the last section, that there's only one gospel, there's not another. And if man is choosing to put his clever twist on it, then it makes it a different gospel. But Paul also encourages us through his life story when we put our faith in the gospel, then his good news becomes our good news because his good news changes us from the inside out, just as it did Paul. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for this text. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your forgiveness. We we thank you that you stopped the cycle and you offered something that this world cannot offer us the grace, the love, the forgiveness, the things that we search for but can only find in you. God, and I pray, Lord, that as we studied Paul's story and briefly looked at the impact that you had on him and the impact that he had on the world, God, that we would be able to identify with this story. But first, we'd be able to identify with your story, that that your story, the gospel, would change our story, that it would radically impact us, Lord. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know the grace of God, if they're not confident, if they're believing a different gospel or something that man made up or man told them, and it's not according to the truth of your word... God, I pray that you would awaken them to the reality of who you are, God, that when they come to know who you are, they will realize who they are, who they were, but also who they can become in you. God, so I pray that you would bless everyone that came today, Lord, that you would continue to stir our hearts to, to find our role and, and, and why you separated us specifically. We know it's not because we bring anything to the table, but because you love us, God. So bless us as we go about our weeks and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.